We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another World Championship Edition bonus pod. We are joined by an illustrious guest, the I Am Andres Tot. By the way, you should check out his chessable courses. Fun fact, they're the presenting sponsors of uh, of Perpetual Chess, presenting chess education sponsors, and Andres is one of my personal favorite authors, especially good for intermediate players, great at breaking down complicated concepts and telling harsh truths to us struggling amateurs. Um, We should give a little bit more info about our guest. He is a YouTuber, a commentator, Twitch streamer, a teacher, and a return guest. And he is staying up super late over there in Canberra, Australia. April 22nd for him, April 21st for me. Round nine has just concluded. And let's welcome Andres back to the pod. Welcome, Andres. Thanks for staying up. Yeah, thank you for having me again. I don't even know, Ben, how many times I've already been on your podcast, but it's always an honor to come back. And I hope that I will be able to say something new every time I come. Yeah, well, we've got plenty to talk about this time, Andres. So I don't think it will be a struggle. And I know that the Perpetual Chess Patreon subs, you were requested, and we've got a few good questions for you. But if you don't mind indulging me for a second, Andres, I'm just going to go big picture on the match just for a moment. 
uh, for anyone not following it super closely. So as we record, round nine just concluded. They shook hands about 10 minutes ago. Uh, so we're not watching the press conference. Nepo now leads five to four. In my opinion, it's been an incredibly entertaining chess match. The chess itself has been very entertaining. We got a little drama after round eight, as we will discuss. We had five decisive games in a row up to round seven, followed by two compelling draws. We've had unexpected openings, raw emotions, twists and turns. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. Andres, do you, when you look ahead to when you'll think back about this match, wh what do you think your first recollections will be at least up to this point? One of the best matches that we've ever had, I think is easily um going to be my first thought and i don't think that it will be an exaggeration or you know just uh something that uh i'm saying in the heat of the moment because i think that uh free match the entire chess world was not super excited let's let's put it mildly about this uh upcoming world championship match between uh between nepo and dink purely because the chess tradition has been for more than a century that the world champion defends his or her title and this time around Magnus decided to sit out and not to partake and so everyone had a bit of an aftertaste in their mouth about this upcoming match and whether this is really a world championship match such questions were raised and I think in general as a result um the overall interest was somewhat limited and um I think that uh, something that looked like, uh, you know, a just another match that, you know, probably will go down in history like uh, any other has turned into potentially the most entertaining world championship match in the past decades. But I would go out on a limb and say that ever. But I mean, I'm saying it right after round nine and we don't know what's awaiting us. But if I had to evaluate it after nine rounds, Boy, we had a jolly good ride. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And we should mention Andres has been recapping these games on his channel. Definitely recommend listeners check it out. They're always educational and entertaining. And yeah, where we last left you guys was after round four, when um, Ding had just sort of picked himself up off the mat. It looked like it might be uh, getting late early in the immortal words of uh, Yogi, Yogi Berra when he got off to a kind of rocky start, but then he held the fort in game three, won in game four. Suddenly we said we have a match and it turns out he wins five games. I mean, we have five decisive games in a row. I actually wrote in my Substack last week about this idea of momentum because it looked like Ding had turned the tide after round four. But what we've learned in this match is that there is no tide turning that <laughs> whatever you try to predict uh good luck because we just don't know what's going to happen but as you say it's been very compelling now one thing i've seen mentioned online andres is people are enjoying sort of the unpredictability of the match again sort of the humanity on display from ding in particular but people some especially stronger players are saying the match has not been as high quality um in terms of the the level of the play what do you think about that Andres look I'm a bit of a fence sitter in this regard because uh really there are two sides to this coin the one side to the coin is is that we are getting an incredibly entertaining match with undoubtedly high quality chess but that is expected as a bare minimum in fact from a world championship right so we expect 
the absolute best chess from the competitors and so high quality is just a given we we don't ever question that um and of course do not forget that we as the viewers and i do think that even you know high level grandmasters fall into this trap we get to watch the engine the evaluation bar go up and down we immediately get fed all the information that the players are not privy to they have to work it out themselves so we i think we tend to jump to conclusions way too soon when it comes to the quality of every single game every single move that is being played out because we have the assistance and we immediately see what's right what's wrong and so it's easy to judge so I don't necessarily think on the one hand that the quality is necessarily that badly lacking. Um, I think that uh, part of it is the fact that the games are extremely competitive. I think that the styles, which I didn't see, by the way, coming at all, but the styles somehow clash in a way that the two players continuously create fights that are sharp, that are difficult to, to navigate, that forces them to spend more time than usual uh, on the clock, especially Ding. And so we have got these extremely tense moments, day in, day out, game after game, that inevitably forces the players to make small inaccuracies, small mistakes. And yes, I do know that um, Nepal's Queen H4 and then Ding not taking on D8 could go down in history as a double blunder. But I think that's the only real example of, uh, you know, both players slipping. The overall impression nonetheless is, is that, in my opinion, is that it's high quality chess. On the other hand, I must add to this, though, that now that I brought up Magnus uh, and his choice to not to play the World Championship match, I think that this match adds yet another piece of evidence or uh, reason to say that Magnus is the GOAT because there is no way on earth that Magnus Carlsen would have had play, would have played the World Championship match with five decisive games back-to-back. -back. No way. Not unless he won all five of them. Well said. Yeah, I think uh, Laurent Fresnay on Chicken Chess Club said that uh, the winner of the match, air quotes so far, was Magnus a couple rounds back because he comes <laughs> he comes out looking even better. And before we get back to the match discussion, I meant I meant to mention at the top for listeners. So the three agendas that we're going to discuss again, keeping Andres up late, so we'll try to keep it short. But obviously, we're talking about the match right now. We're going to go big picture on the match, then we'll spend a few minutes on the controversy from yesterday regarding the leak prep. And then our final segment sort of will be about chess improvement, because I do think there have been tons of lessons that amateurs can take from this match. And it's one, again, getting back to what Andres was just saying about the sort of lack of humanity, the um, superhuman abilities of Magnus, I think, make it a little harder to learn from the matches. Whereas here, I feel like we're, we're seeing so many sort of swings and instructive moments that um, that I, I want to discuss that. But first, let's continue big picture discussion of the match. So the openings approach has been super interesting. Um, what do you think of uh, how Ding has approached, especially uh, <laughs> the continuous surprises that he is springing? Look, um... I'm a bit of an old school guy uh, and uh, a bit of a traditionalist. And so many of his choices came to me as a slight shock. I would even go as far as say that I would disapprove some of them uh, for his level, that is. Um, but at the same time, it seems to work. Uh, the, the fact that Nepo can never come to the board 
with having a, a really, really good idea about what might hit him in that particular round seems to work a treat. And uh, Dean keeps on saying this. I keep not believing it, but I think he obviously is genuine and honest that he literally makes up his mind about what he's going to apply when he arrives at the board. And that just throws in an element of randomness that usually works against the player who does it because you want to be well prepared. You want to be in your comfort zone. You would like to know what's going to be on the board. And so this randomness is just an extra flavor to this match that has never been seen before. And obviously, again, the greatest winners of this um, are the spectators for sure because we are being entertained. I mean, it has been London, English, Nimzo, uh, 4H3. It's like uh, the thing has brought them through the kitchen sink at uh, Napoli. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, more came out of, uh, there was more where this came from. So um, it's very interesting. I would have never thought that a strategy like that could work on the highest level of chess. It might not, as far as the final result is concerned. But if we are honest with ourselves, right now in the middle of the match, we, we can safely say that Ding's strategy and approach to the match as far as opening prep is concerned is no inferior to anything else we have seen in the past 100 years. And by the way, this was somewhat expected, I guess, from the point on when we knew that uh, his number one helper and second in the match is Richard Rapport. Yeah, let's be honest with ourselves. It's not exactly known to be the greatest mind of opening theory on planet Earth. I mean, he is one of the greatest geniuses for sure of current chess, but opening theory has never been his forte. I'm not even sure if his interest, to be honest. Yeah, your your fellow Hungarian. Did have you had any uh, personal interactions with Rapport as he was climbing up the ranks, Andres? No, I mean he's so young that he would have been very very young when I left Hungary. Um, the only connection that we have between the two of us, which is quite interesting, by the way, is the fact that he was uh, coached for a short period of time by Laszlo Hozai, my former coach. But that's pretty much the only connection. I have never even spoke to. To Richie at all and I'm afraid that uh, you know now that he changed flags that little connection that we had both of us being Hungarians is also a little bit uh, slipping out of the way I mean he hasn't changed his uh, nationality but he changed federations for chess purposes yeah now representing Romania which is that's correct a uh, chess powerhouse and we should have mentioned our friends at chess goals now give nepo a 78 percent chance to win this match i was slightly tilted towards nepo at the beginning of the match i have to say given the way the match has going andres if someone offered me four to one odds that ding would win i would take it because it's been so oh yeah in a heartbeat i also by the way express my view on this uh to chess dom uh, they reached out to me before the match to say a word about what I think. And I said to them that I think that uh, Nepal should be the favorite, not necessarily by a large margin, purely because of his match experience. Yeah. And the fact that he has already exposed, he has already been exposed to this environment. The, the, the whole shebang he, he is not new to him the same way how it was new to Ding. And we could see, excuse me, how overwhelmed and emotionally exposed Ding was I don't think he any he is anymore but he certainly was uh in the first couple of rounds so 
that was definitely a, a telltale sign that we saw um you know a veteran who who was already trained to this type of warfare against someone who was brand new to the arena yeah and it certainly looked at times as i mentioned earlier like thing has been teetering and every time i watch mm. You know, I'm mainly rooting for drama at this stage of the match. So, like, <laughs> we we just concluded round nine, and it was just that night and pawn end game. Knights on the same side. You know, the table base and the engine are yawning the whole time. But I'm like on a knife's edge when I watch, just because you you can feel again the humanity of Ding, and he he played splendidly. It didn't, you know, in hindsight, it won't look like there's any reason for concern. But as you're sitting there watching until it's over, you worry there's going to be some slip up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's definitely my point. My view was that uh, Ding is a dark horse. He's definitely not to be written off. But if I had to put money before the match on anyone, it would have been Nepo, and in fact, still is. Yeah, yeah, he's favored for a reason. Well, Andres, as I mentioned, we've got some questions from Patreon supporters of the pod. I do feel like this has struck a nerve with those. Obviously, some people are checked out given the lack of Magnus and the uh, other geopolitical circumstances. But those who are following it, I think, share our impression and have been really enjoying it. So first question is from Daniel He, and he asks, when doing opening prep, how do you strike a balance between choosing the objectively best moves in the position versus analyzing in depth some moves that are slightly weaker but unexplored? Since your competitors all have access to the same engines, it would seem practical to me in a game to sidestep the prep and enter a relatively fresher position where your deeper analysis will shine. Um, obviously, I'm guessing that this question is exclusively directed at the very top level. Yeah, that's my um, guess as well. Um, and in that case, uh, I would have to agree. I do think, and part of me is a little bit sad about this, by the way, that um, we are in a new era of chess where I don't think it's objectively feasible anymore for opening experts, theoreticians, to try to find opening variations that yield an advantage to white. And I think that one of the great, one of the reasons why Magnus has been so, so successful for so long is because he was one of the pioneers of recognizing this. And instead of aiming to get advantages out of openings, he aimed to play positions that he felt comfortable with, that he knew that he liked the position, he liked the nature of what was happening on the board, irrespective of the objective evaluation. As a matter of fact, uh, Grandmaster Peter Heine Nielsen, uh, who we can, I guess, claim to be the head of uh, Team Carlsen, even admitted that, that they actually specifically worked towards more the goal was to find positions that Magnus enjoyed rather than finding an opening edge. And those two very often did not overlap at all. So I do think that this is a, a fair question. And in sight of what Ding has been doing, I mean, the 4H3 is something that I would rather forget. Mm -hmm. um, but even the London, I mean, you know where I stand. And in fact, everyone who listens to me for longer than 20 minutes know where I stand with the London. But um, look, he pulled it free. He pulled it off. He he got a clear advantage, and um, I'm gonna say it. So hang on to something because you will be shocked. I reckon that was the best game of the match. Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, I, I don't. So remember. the 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 new the the new the the new new is the old is what I'm trying to say. So instead of you know trying to constantly find new ways 
I think the time has come when, when players need to accept the fact that um, perhaps we need to play equal and uh, just have fun with that rather than trying to seek, um, you know, the so evasive plus equals, which is probably no longer there in almost any opening, really. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, as you mentioned, the NIMS, the, the game with 4H3 uh, in order to avoid, presumably, uh, the semi tirage um, was more indicative than than any that he's just like you know what I just want to surprise him. But then of course in in the uh, Nimzo Samish that we had in uh, yesterday in in game eight's unforgettable game, he actually went down a very theoretical line, and uh, um, Nepo proved quite quite well prepared for it. And uh, Fabiano has discussed uh, sort of the contours of Daniel's question on the broadcast as well, and he sort of also said you're not going to get an advantage and something like the the highly theoretical line that uh, that Ding unveiled we're not likely to see it again he expects Ding to continue to jump around um, which with white leads to sort of freewheeling uh, type scenarios coming into today with black uh, it was a little dicier because you feel like um, he's he's drawing you pretty sure Nepo's going to play e4 and his uh, his choices seem more limited um which gets us to our next patreon question but first Anders, do you have anything to add to that no not really although i must say that uh, the mere fact that he played e5 and e6 as well <laughs> already made his <laughs> opening repertoire probably broader on the black side of business than most world championship final final players ever <laughs> if you think about it because usually they stick to the one gun especially if it works I mean, yeah. think about, for example, Kramnik. He would have played 100 Berlins against Kasparov uh, if he drew all the 100 of them. No problems. You know, why Why if it's not broken, why fix it? But, uh, yeah, Ding seems to have uh, a little versatility um, or he appears to be a bit more versatile even on the black side, which I think is is a welcome change, really. Yeah, and, and to your point, we'll get to the leak prep story momentarily, but the Berlin was in that was in the 72 games. So coming into today, I was wondering a little bit, I mean, he's already played sort of classical Roy Lopez as black. He's already sprung the French. And then the only other thing in that file was the Berlin. But listen, the Berlin is, you know, it it's such a high percentage of the games for a reason. It's got a solid standing. So um, it didn't deter Ding from playing it. But anyway, more on that in a minute. But the next Patreon question is from Noah Zucker, and it's related to what we've been discussing, which is question number one. Why haven't we seen a Sicilian in a recent World Championship <laughs> match or a King's Indian attack for that matter? Uh, so we'll start with that, and then he's got another one. Right. The answer for that is is very, very plain and simple. Um, the risk-reward ratio is just um, not acceptable for anyone who thinks clearly, realistically about what a sound strategy is for any player in a World Championship final. Like you really need to narrow down your opening choices, despite the, despite everything I said before about how we are not chasing the advantage uh, and we are happy with the equal. On the flip side of that coin, you must realize that the goal is the equal, at least for black. And the Sicilian has never been an opening that was known for, you know, guaranteeing uh equality and in fact 
bringing balance into the game the sicilian is all about imbalance it's about trying to beat white uh at the risk of losing a game it, it has been and it will always be the choice of the players who would like to win a game with black but knowing that they take a sizable risk if you think about it if i'm not mistaken the last time when we had the sicilian in uh, a world championship match i may be wrong but i my recollection is anand kasparov uh, I don't think that I don't think we saw recurring Sicilians. Fabiano, no, had, no, no we had the Sveshnikov and uh, Magnus Fabiano. Yes, that's right. The, the Sveshnikov did come back, but even that I think wasn't played as much as Kasparov played the Dragon against Sanan. Right, so I think every black player by Kasparov was a Sicilian, if, or at least a fair few of them. I may be wrong on this, but anyway, it, it's just. Um, it's just not worth it. It's like asking, you know, uh, a World Cup finalist team to play with five strikers and two defenders. The the risks and the rewards are just not in line to to make it work. It's obviously it would be an immense crowd pleaser, but we we tend to be a little bit uh, selfish <laughs> when, as crowd, we want our players to you know just go out guns ablaze and just <laughs> do whatever we would like them to do. Yeah, and I think that's true of the Nidorf in particular. Like when I interviewed uh, Correspondence World Champion John Edwards, he's, he said the Nidorf is on firm theoretical standing, but there's just so many landmines that I think that from a practical perspective, it, even Nepo himself, you know, Nidorf uh, adherent is not venturing it in the World Championship, despite it being so well suited to his style. Um, and to Noah's second question about the King's Indian attack, well, it was in the uh, it was in the games that that were played on Leecha. So uh, maybe Ding was planning on playing it. And since it's with White, there's, you know, the surprise value, um, the value of the surprise value might go down a little. Obviously, it's a, a good opening. So maybe we'll still see it. It will be definitely interesting to see any predictions on what 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 Ding will uncork next as White, Andres. Ah, oh, look, um, it's very hard to guess because we have already seen so many random things that no one would have seen to come. I mean, when he played the London, everyone literally fell off their chairs and <laughs> Anish Giri aptly observed that uh, chess has never been as low as now. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, yeah. Um, I would be very surprised to see the King's Indian attack. Um, I, what I think is likely to happen is, is that Ding is going to go back to his beloved English, which yeah. is still, by the way, by World Championship final standards, an offbeat choice. <laughs> Just for the record, I would like to put it out there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, okay, so I want to talk about the leaked prep story a little bit. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because I tend to think these things get overblown. First, a brief um, overview. So yesterday... Uh, game eight, uh, Ding did, did spring a bit of an opening surprise, particularly with this, uh, rook a two move. I believe it was on move nine, although I forgot to double check that, but anyway, some, in, some intrepid chess fan, uh, was playing through the Lee chess Explorer and a game popped up that turned out to be between, uh, two sort of, um, little known players who, it turned out had only played against each other and had played 72 games against each other. And they, the games began taking place in February and continued intermittently until they stopped two weeks ago. And many of the openings that have been played, the, the London in particular, the H3 line, um, and uh, one more 
um, I'll have to check which one, all appeared in the, the World Championship match. So Hikaru said 100%, this has to be uh, Ding and presumably Richard Rapport playing. There was also a chess.com account uh, that was played previously. Um, funny enough, it got shut down for fair play violations because an anonymous account shows up. And if you're playing at the strength of uh, Ding Liren, you might get shut down. So that's when they got uh, switched to Lee Chess. So uh, obviously this was quite a controversy because um, it, uh, you know, reveals some plans. Uh, Andres, I know you didn't even mention it, I believe, in your most recent recap. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. So what do you um, think of it? <laughs> look, uh, it's very, very strange. And the reason why I didn't mention it is because um, AI like to stay, stay clear from um, drama in general, but too, because there's not a lot of, things that I can say about this that would be, you know, not judgmental, because let's be honest with ourselves, how amateurish this whole story is, if it's true, and I slightly lean towards believing that it's them. Yeah. And if it is them, I mean, leeches has a function, in fact, multiple functions, where you can make it private. And let's be honest, it's not a very well hidden uh function right that website is mighty good and very well designed and it's very user friendly two more clicks and those games are not accessible to anyone right so i'm just thinking like there, there would have been so many ways to do this um to to avoid a complete utter fiasco like that like how could they it, it just seems so silly so yeah, uh, yeah I, I I was lost for words to be honest with that. So part of me really wants to believe that it's actually not them, hoping that they wouldn't make such a rookie mistake. But um, you know, I guess um, yeah, the 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 signs are pointing to the direction that it was them. I guess lesson learned. But uh, yeah, you can't make such such rookie errors uh, before. A world championship final i mean it might be your only one in your life you 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 take so many so so much more serious precautionary measures than that it's it's really unfathomable to me yeah although are you sure you can play an actual game that's not archived my understanding was you can play it through a study but if you want to have the clock going that it will get archived. well i was mostly thinking about the study function yes okay but 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 like why would do you know such giants of chess like rapport and ding play out the game with a clock yeah and like and there why like what's the point i mean and and there certainly are workarounds like john hartman was posting like you know you can since since lee chess is open source you can get someone to sort of mimic the code and then play on a sort of yeah i mean like sort of thing look uh, it, it really is just a matter of i don't know what to call it professionalism slash just invest a bit of time into this whole thing yeah and and i sort of agreed with your decision to to uh, not cover it i mean i do i find it amusing more than anything um yeah that's it, my stance exactly it's amusing sorry to yeah. cut you off there but that's where i'm like it's amusing <laughs> yeah and i did want to highlight a, a couple um more points uh both anish giri and fabiano caruana um said that they they felt that this story was going to be overblown um so i think it's exciting for the fans um anish highlighted the point that because it's later in the match that helps there's um a lot of these sort of um 
a lot of sort of these surprises have already been sprung. So as we mentioned, something like the King's Indian attack, maybe that would make him less inclined to play. As, as we mentioned, he still played the Berlin. Um, but yeah, definitely a bit of an own goal, as you allude to, mm. Andres, and, you know, adds to sort of the legacy of leaks in uh, chess history, which is always, uh, you know, good for a few clicks. But um, as uh, uh, the Peters on the Chicken Chess Club put it, it's, you know, if you're offered like half a point or to have your prep leaked in this way like <laughs> obviously you'd take the half a point in a heartbeat like the the practical value of what happened is is not that great and you never know maybe it leads you to play a different opening and it works out in your favor so um but did did want to uh address that story now andres again super late where you are but i did want to talk some chess improvement um because i I made my top three lessons from the match for amateurs. I found this to be, again, unusually accessible and instructive. But what about you? Um, I'm, I don't want to put you on the spot for a top three, but like what has struck you as something that amateur players can learn from this match? Yeah, you're definitely putting me uh, on the spot because for the time being, I'm following it as, you know, enjoying it for myself. I'm trying to be a little bit selfish. Well, I'm ready every, if you, uh, if you every need Every now me. and then uh but um look one thing that is that is quite uh amazing to me but maybe it's more typical to this match than usual and probably i will sound a little bit like a broken record is is that many a time we reached positions reasonably early on but definitely early middle by early middle game which were very very rich and calculation heavy so calculating exercises um, I definitely, I think, are the ones that I would say that this uh, match offered in abundance. Um, it's quite amazing. Uh, like if you think about, uh, for example, the Nimzo game, it had so many fascinating variations where the white kingside attack could break through on the H5, but it just didn't because of amazing defensive resources. Um, another thing that I really like to observe nowadays and i'm probably parroting a lot of uh, far better coaches than what i am um maybe it was jacob Agard who said this but it might have been somebody else is that recently in the past i don't know how many decades or years chess players got so much much better at defending like it's uh, it's not the attacking chess that excels so much uh, or it's not where you see the real improvement anymore in top level players but the way how they hold positions and perhaps this is the worst time to bring it up because so many decisive games and so many uh you know mistakes made but nonetheless um even if you look at for example the Nimzo game that really went south for Nepo there were beautiful defensive moments there when Nepo played really well eventually he slipped up in the defense but uh still it is remarkable to see how precisely they play irrespective of it's on the attack or on the defense and that's i think is quite inspirational and again there is material to be found there for sure although obviously because of the depth of the positions it may be a challenge to many including yeah. me <laughs> yeah well said and and on your calculation point uh noah in the uh, perpetual chess discord was he was really, uh, and I think Noah's, forgive me if I'm off a bit, but I believe Noah's rated around uh, 1,200 online. And he was um, he was trying to understand that critical moment that you alluded to in the Unforgettable Game 8, where 
Nepo left his rook on pre and it mm. sort of um there was discussion about was it a bluff or was it not a bluff because um a, as you showed in your recap <laughs> at first glance it looks like there's a perpetual but there were some beautiful and creative ways out and Ding only thought for a couple minutes and just kind of didn't even do his due diligence and Noah I think with the engine there in front of him struggled to understand sort of the psychology that that went into that um so what would you say about someone who who struggles to to understand like how how a world class player could could miss that line? Look, first of all, anyone who calls it a bluff, I mean, come on, get real. That that whole variation, and first of all, so what you need to understand, it has got so many layers to it, is that that particular motive that Nepo went for when he checks a a king with a queen. Um, you know, along a, a line and then along a diagonal and back to a line and the king is protected by two pieces. It's almost like a, a mechanical puzzle where you move the blocks and there is always a way to get in or get out. It's a stock standard motive. There are thousands of examples for this, both in queen endings and also in uh, puzzle books, you know, that feature uh, perpetual check examples this is a very well-known motif it was an absolutely incredible one in a million misalignment of pieces that allowed white to sneak out of the perpetual check now as soon as the engine shows that to you how to do it it's like oh yeah easy yeah. easy if you don't see the engine there i don't blame ding an inch for going for not spending you know more than two minutes because two minutes was perfectly sufficient to calculate the line and blundering exactly the same thing that Nepo blundered that established that it was a draw and yeah. so he he just checked what what he thought Nepo calculated and assumed to be correct I mean you don't your first assumption is never that your opponent blundered your first assumption is that you made a mistake and your opponent outsmarted you especially on this level yeah and when right so when queen h4 yeah. lands and you, it leaves the rook hanging your instinct is not that <laughs> they blundered the rook right never your instinct is that oh bugger there's a perfect your check and i missed it and then he checks the line already on the back foot mentally because he think he had missed he has missed it he confirms that he did miss it and he goes on with life and so yeah that was not even close to being a bluff in chess no way like on this level you don't bluff to begin with um definitely when there is as much as a hanging rook at stake but yeah to to go back to the question look even the top players as per example are not immune to blundering it's extremely rare but they are not immune to it i mean every single game that is decisive by definition has to feature a mistake now sometimes that's not a mistake but a blunder which is an exaggerated version of the mistake so when we see five back-to-back -back games with decisive results and we are you know celebrating that wow classical chess is so much fun again i mean there is a price to pay guys like we yeah. we can't have the cake and eat it at the same time we can have 12 throws and have 99.9 percent .9 accuracy in every single game or we'll have five back-to-back -back decisive games and there will be a blunder in them and once again we already spoke about this that that doesn't necessarily mean that the quality of this is so awful it's just a lot of things working out in a way that these games are more severely contested than others 
Uh, beautifully said. Yeah. And that actually ties into um, to my number one chess improvement uh, takeaway, which was the importance of clock management, because oh, uh, I'm so glad you brought that in. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, let's because, talk about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a lot to say, because listeners know I struggle with this myself, but it, it was a background to Ding overlooking that, um, because he had about 20 minutes on the clock at the time that he was presented with the opportunity to take the Rook. And he had the uh, blundering in extreme time pressure had cost him the prior game. So I think he was just trying to be practical. He moved in only a couple minutes. And I mean, that showed, showed the the wonders of psychology. But I did think that there was, I agree with you that, that people are making it, I mean, and whatever, I'm like, you know, 2000. So what do I know? But people are making it sound like it's easy to see that line, but which I don't agree with. But I did think the one the one lesson people can learn from that, and this is something the aforementioned Jakob Algard has talked about, is the importance of identifying critical moments. So maybe there is something to be said where Ding says, you know, this probably doesn't work. But listen, if I can get away with taking this rook, the game is over. And the other thing, importantly, if I go for another line, uh, I just have a small edge. My position doesn't look fantastic. So it's not like he had another easy win in front of him at that stage, although he had missed some wins earlier. So I do think one could make an argument for him saying, you know what, um, this this probably doesn't work, but I'm going to spend seven minutes looking at everything because um because if it does work, the game's over. So it's a huge equity swing. So that's the only thing I would add about that particular position. But then, Andres, there's also the broader topic of time management. Yeah, well, look, not that I want to have the last word on this, but what I want to tell you there is also, if you consider Queen H4 as the move, hanging the rock, to add another layer of disbelief on Ding's end, I mean, if it was a blunder, I mean, think about what an absolute shame that would look on like that would be. Yeah, fearful. what a way to lose. So, yeah. so that again increases your sense of surely this is correct because if it was wrong, it we would it would look like a, a club player from up the road and he is the world's second best chess player. So you almost don't even calculate because he just played Queen H four Hangaruk. No one does that. Like on 2800 level that is right so there is a level of trust uh, between these players when it comes to such things of course you should never trust your opponent ever but there is somewhere uh, you know a fine line that you need to draw and i think that thing didn't necessarily you know cross that line but um yeah time may have been uh, an issue interestingly enough uh, dink has been struggling with time i think that it's not necessarily um coming only from the fact that he has the propensity to get into time trouble a lot of people overlook the fact that uh, Jan Nepomnishi is one of the most annoying people to play against on planet earth when it comes to psychological pressure clock this was pressure. my number two this was Pre my number pressure two. pressure overall if you yeah. have to pick one guy you don't want to play against if you if you are prone to feel, you know, under any kind of pressure, don't pick Nepal because he is playing really fast with a tremendous amount of self-confidence. And so you are sitting there, it's constantly your clock ticking and the guy is chucking really annoying, mighty good moves at you. 
you constantly feel on the back foot. You know, it doesn't matter if you're playing out a three-on-three king and pawn ending that even, even then you feel like the guy has the pressure on you because he just on the go all the time. And he combines that extremely annoyingly. And to my mind, by the way, this is definitely something that needs fixing. Is that um, two-thirds of the time he's not even there. You're playing yeah. a ghost. Yeah. The, the guy plays a move, goes to the restroom, Ding responds. He often doesn't even come back, which, by the way, to my mind, is really, really a big no-go. And we should not, not we, but I don't think that is right for the viewers, for the respect of the opponent. In general, I disapprove of someone knowing that it's their turn, their clock is ticking, and they choose to stay in their restroom and analyze their position, as in, sorry, calculate their response whilst looking at the screen instead of going back to the board, in my opinion, is an awful way to popularize chess. I think there is there is a really serious amount of damage done there to uh, what overall chess should look like to the wide audience, but that's a completely different uh, I, I strongly wasn't, agree, though. Wasn't yeah. even asked. My solution to that, by the way, I tweeted about this, I wouldn't allow them to have a screen in their, in their restroom with the position. Yeah, I you don't, don't think want, they should have a restroom. I mean, a bathroom, sure, but but they don't need a couch. Uh, yeah, even that is that is a fair point. But I, I'm willing to you know negotiate. But I'm I'm not going further than you want your restroom. Fine, you can sit in there, but no screen. So if it's your clock ticking, to you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly a step in the right direction. Because although they don't need the board to to calculate they they do need to know it's their move so <laughs> well exactly and you know like the, there is that element of uncertainty like you just don't know when they move them and when it comes to you constantly looking you know from the door have they moved, right. have they moved them then all of a sudden there is no point in sitting in the restroom you will go back and you know spend your time there but to go back to the original question yes um that the uh, the pressure that nepo puts on his opponent by his style is already tremendous and it shows on the clock another thing uh, that is very very interesting and i actually discovered this uh ben in a lesson today that i had with a student that i will now prefer not to name especially because he's rather known in the chess community too as i was analyzing his game and i looked at his time consumption i found out and this is very interesting by the way to refer back to the way how nepal plays that almost every time when he spent more than X amount of time, it doesn't matter what X is, that let's go with more than eight minutes on a move, it was a mistake. When yeah. he hadn't uh when he had an obvious uh you know defensive measure or anything of that kind, he would not spend too much time. So there were a few in interesting psychological factors there. So for example, in the early opening, he was very clearly ahead and he had a mighty obvious move, spent 10 minutes on it, right? When he was up and he knew that he had the upper hand, when he was already down and he knew that he was going to lose, he started playing faster. And I told him that, mate, it should be the polar opposite. When you are up, when you feel that you are in the driving seat, when you feel like you are in command, that's when you play a little bit faster. That's when the position plays itself. So, you know, you can safely play moves that they just look good and they will reward you. And when things are getting dicey, that's when you need to, you know, put your feet down and go like, mm -mm, I need to now dig in and start thinking and figure out how I get out of this mess. 
And he's entirely switched it around, started thinking awful lot when upper piece and attacking, and very quickly playing when, you know, the tide has turned. And uh, a little bit, I feel the same with Dink too, that sometimes there is an unnecessary amount of time spent in positions where he could actually just play the move that he's thinking and calculate and, and uh, do things in his opponent time, because I would hazard to guess that the, in a large number of cases, the move that he's considering playing, let's say by minute eight, is going to be the one that he's going to eventually play after thinking another 15 minutes. Yep. Now, obviously, you will need to double check. You need to go deep. The level of their calculation is not even on the same planet as mine, but the general principle is the same. He has the skills that is required to see enough after eight, or at least to be good enough to say that. And that's, by the way, Anish said something along the lines too, that like it's basically just a, a never-ending loop that you sort of get yourself into that you always want to get to the very end of the line but when you are playing on a level of chess that ding and nepal do you will not get there you because it's impossible because they will throw the best moves back at you so it's not like you know you are calculating lines where it's a force mate no you're calculating options where almost all of them will lead to an equal team you just need to pick one that you like and so if you are a perfectionist and you try to see to the very end then you will in the end come back with nothing and you just constantly go in this circle of having free candidates, none of them I like, let's recalculate, hoping I will find something better. And in the end, you spend three times as much time as you should have and you're going to still settle for the for a move that you have already seen 20 minutes ago perfectly clearly. And so the move first, think after policy, however foolish it may sound, definitely does apply after some time spent on accurately measuring up the consequences this definitely hits close to home andres but but let me ask you one more question on this sort of uh psychological uh theme because i agree that nepo seems terrifying to play against uniquely terrifying uh even among the top players but in the way you describe his style which is also how i think of his style oozing confidence and just moving quickly it actually makes me think as an amateur player andres i actually encounter this with some frequency playing kids even if they're lower rated than me um they often they just don't they're not um you know they don't have the scars um, that, that adults have accumulated. So they just have a sort of carefree attitude. They're standing, they're looking all around the room, they're playing quickly. And as you say, it can be uh, disconcerting. And a lot of us adults have to deal with that. So do you have any advice for when you are playing against someone who in Ding's case is an epo, in our case might be a precocious nine-year-old kid? Um, what? How do you approach it? What? How can you slow yourself down and stay focused on the game? Look, uh, as probably it is expected from me, I'm going to be very blunt about this matter <laughs> because I think that that is going to be the most useful piece of advice. If I see anyone playing at an incredible pace, which I do all the time um, in my students' games, mostly by done by their opponents, um, and I do see that it's a tendency, right? So it's not like one or two moves, but they're blitzing out like up to move 15. What I'm telling my student is that I guarantee you that among that 15 moves there will be at least three absolute lemons guaranteed because they do not have the skills that nepal does 
they do not have the experience that Napo does. They do not have the coaching that Napo has had. And the list goes on forever about the difference between those two. Now, obviously, their opponents are also lower rated. So their arsenal of how to appropriately respond to such provocation is also much more limited. But my piece of advice is in that case is that your mentality must be that whatever this guy is doing is wrong because there is no way that you can play good quality chess in that limited time. Having said that, there are two ways that you can really badly respond to this. One of them, the most common one, is that you pick up their tempo and you start blitzing out as well. Mm -hmm. And since they are far more used to that kind of warfare than you are, it's far more likely that the mistakes you are going to make are going to be of greater consequence than what they have been doing. The other one is that you panic uh, or you are desperate to find a hole on whatever they are doing and you spend way too much time on trying to punish and defeat these people and uh, you're basically going to fail uh, in trying to do so. So my best piece of advice would be probably to find the golden middle way. Definitely try to single out the move or moves that you feel are bad. And when you hit that point, when they play the move fast, that really looks off, that's when you need to start thinking really deeply and start punishing them. But until then, try to find a golden middle way of not too much, not too little. But when a move looks very amiss, that's when you need to start thinking and you know um try to beat them okay yeah on the board yeah and even nepo as you say we're not playing nepo but i mean nepo it's a double-edged sword for him obviously he'd like you know blitzed out knight takes f2 this amazing drawing sequence in game eight but mm -hmm. but when ding leveled the score in game four a, a large part of it was where nepo allowed ding to sack the exchange on d4 um and you know so yeah. and and anon called that move like inexplicable or something like that like so even nepo like if you stay alert and you manage your time properly um he'll he'll give you chances that other world-class players won't but you never know when it's coming and yeah, you've exactly. got to manage your time properly so that when it comes you can spend enough but not too much you know so it's a uh, simple but not easy or, or or whatever it may be and the the final chess improvement lesson i highlighted and maybe you won't agree with this one based on what you said so we had number one just time management generally number two sort of uh the psychological aspect of chess and how to deal with a confident opponent but number three was i did find it interesting bringing it back to the leaked games that they the way that they decided to learn this opening to learn their openings was to play so many training games um now you mentioned earlier andres that at their level maybe they don't need the clock do, do you for your students is that something when you're learning an opening do you tell them to get a lot of reps in playing it yeah absolutely i think that the best way to learn openings is 100 uh, percent training games every day of the week this is like i have made a youtube video about this in fact uh, a fair while ago where i expressed uh, that in my book the number one and in fact and i'm going to expose myself here to probably a fair bit of heat the sole purpose of playing blitz is to practice openings yeah 
I so think especially for can, stronger players, yeah. Then you can take that knowledge to play what I like to call the real chess, for which I'm again going to attract a lot of heat. <laughs> but have for that. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I like to be a little bit uh, controversial, also known as right. Um, hope you saw, by the way, Levon Aronian's tweet about. Oh this yeah, he's been he's been strident. Anyway, go ahead. I'll find yeah, the tweet yeah, yeah. While, you, while you continue. Please, so that those of uh, those those listeners who are not sure what real chess is, they can refer to a little bit of a higher authority than myself. But back to the point, definitely. And, and, and the reason why Blitz is the ultimate uh, tool, by the way, for practicing openings is because Blitz games are short, so they guarantee you high frequency, right? So imagine that you learn any opening. Let's go Nidolf, right? You play 10 games back-to-back -back in the Nidolf, 10 Blitz games, right? If you play three minute blitz, that's one game, six minutes. That means that in 10 games, that's an hour. You played 10 games in an opening. There are amateur players, club level players out there who learn an opening and then play that opening twice in two months. I gave you a scenario where you played 10 games in an hour. Imagine the immense potential of learning there provided that you then take the time, which is, by the way, again, the only way to go about this, and you go through the games and you sort of look at at least what went wrong, what went right in the opening, what were the plans that we should have followed, yada, yada, yada. In general, there is not a lot of point in analyzing Blitz games, but at least for opening purposes, there is a point, in my opinion, to check them, at least until how long we knew theory, when what did we do with the game once we got out of book? These two questions are perfectly fine to ask in any blitz game yeah and so yes a hundred percent uh i think the training games are definitely uh, a crucial part of, of of learning uh openings i think that the two best things you can do with an opening after you learn some openings is to look for anchor games which is a very well-known pet peeve of mine i have spoken about it on uh my youtube channel a lot and in fact all my chessable opening courses have uh um, anchor games associated with every line and the other one is just practice games and there yeah. the volume matters so much more than the quality like you'd much rather play 10 blitz than one uh, one rapid when the purpose is memorization and understanding both both i would like to emphasize both to be able to remember and to understand what you're doing much better to play you know a large volume of games and then go through them well said yeah and anchor games being of course illustrative games from strong players yes that's uh, right model in, games is the official name in my chessable courses yeah um and let me follow up on that andres because i i broadly agree with you but i often encourage players say rated below 1500 instead of playing blitz to play rapid just because um i do think with the clock ticking it can be a bit overwhelming do you do you agree with that advice or were you, would oh, you say look, it's, even... I, I think that it's a bit of a personal taste it's a bit of a um you know preference of uh individual players because obviously there are players out there who don't like playing blitz they think that the quality of their play is too bad and therefore it's not really usable for the greater purpose um so yeah of course you can turn it into rapid game it's all a matter of how much time you have if you have time you know to play three four five rapid games for the same opening go for it okay but usually i find especially having spoken to you a lot about uh you know adult improvement and uh improving in general and uh coaching theories and what to do and how to use your time wisely what i find is that time is the only 
uh, commodity that people don't tend to have. So when I say play five rapid games for one opening, yeah. people are like, yeah, thank you. And uh, then I will be 277 years old when I right. finally learn my night off. Or divorced, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, probably both, actually, right. yes. And <laughs> and homeless and, yeah, yeah other exactly. miseries in life. Mind you, it's all worth it, I reckon. Well, if, you, if you master the night off, I mean, that was worth the <laughs> right. ride, right? Exactly. <laughs> no, jokes aside, that's what I'm saying. Like, you need to adjust it to your personal circumstances. Excellent. All right. Well, Andres, uh, we do have two more chess improvement questions. If you're up for it, I know it's super late. Yeah, go there. for it. Go, go awesome. For it. The, Thank this, you. So the... This day is down to Googler already all night. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So one more question from Noah, which is, he says, seems like this world championship match is a battle of calculation versus intuition with the former losing more often due to something called time trouble. And obviously we've touched on this, but he says, what do you think the world championship tells us about how much emphasis we should place on calculating as opposed to pattern recognition and uh, shallow, um, more shallower analysis? Look, I, I would like to warn against uh, trying to draw. I hope I'm not going to often know to say simplistic uh, conclusions when it comes to oh, one is very good at intuition and the other one is very good at calculation because we work with what we see on the clock and we work with what the commentators tell us we don't know what's going on in here for ding and nepal like i have no idea whether nepal calculated in today's game 200 lines 110 or 2000 you don't know i don't know nobody does so it's very very difficult to gauge how much calculation goes through uh in a chess game and i generally like to err on the side of calculation right i i'm a very big believer of uh, chess intuition it has played a tremendous role in chess history in fact we can easily say that um the the absolute epitome of chess intuition is the goat if we accept magnus carlsen to be the goat he is the embodiment of chess intuition everyone says that Carson understands chess better than anybody else without calculating anything which is in my opinion uh the very definition of uh, intuition but that doesn't mean that he doesn't calculate and uh, my view is is that uh, a better calculator will always beat a weaker calculator irrespective of remaining skills so I would like to very kindly warn against drawing conclusions that, oh, if you have got the right intuition, then calculation is no longer that important. Well said. And yeah, I I 100% agree. And I think especially with club players, you see them, um, I believe uh, Dan Heisman calls it hand-waving, where instead of actually providing a variation for why you for why you played a move, you just like try to fall back on some principle or something like that. And yeah, I, feel, I, I call that the telling stories uh, right. when they are telling me that oh, I wanted to do this, and then if that happened, and I'm like, yeah, no, give me moves. Look, the the long story short is in that I had a few arguments about uh, other coaches and. Uh, um, other chess personalities about this my view is I have never not once in my life come across a student whether it be junior adult improver name it whatever whose weakness was that they calculated too much and not mm -hmm. too little I am yet to see that person and I'm inviting anyone now to point at someone whose greatest weakness is, is that they calculate too much I will be the happiest coach when that day happened I'm yet to see it. 
Great point. Um, all right, one last question, chess improvement related, and then we'll just briefly tie up the match and look forward. Uh, so from Ali Campbell, thanks for supporting the pod, Ali. He asks, he's identified a problem with his chess where he's having trouble how to fix it. He often loses because he plays moves without visualizing the position after his move and checking for possible tactics. I'm allowing for my opponent. In general, his calculation isn't bad. Um, so if he remembers to check, he does reasonably well, but actually remembering to follow the right process every move is something he struggles with. He can do it 90% of the time, but the few moves of the game where I lose focus are often enough to change the result. Any tips for improving this skill? Oh, that, that sounds to me like very random. Um, yeah, it sounds to me like saying that uh, anytime I look around before I cross the road, I'm safe, but when I don't, I get hit by a car. Like... <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Look to me around. it sounds like chess in a nutshell yeah yeah i mean like you know i don't want to make him look silly or anything like that uh, i'm saying it with all respect that uh, but the greatest enemy of your own move is whatever is gonna hit it next right like i always tell my students that there should never ever be a point in their game when they play a move on their turn yeah and they don't know what the their most feared response against that move is i use that wording because depending on level i like to use the wording of what the opponent's best move is but of course very often we don't see what our opponent's best move is but if you have the mentality of playing a move and knowing what's gonna hit you next even if you are wrong about what's gonna hit you that means that you already have that kind of thinking and that mentality that before you do your stuff you check what's going to happen to you next so once again going back to the basic principle of if you play a move without knowing what your opponent is going to hit you with next that means you're not playing the game that means you are totally in the dark like not even close that's that there is a version of chess you know when you play in a fog like you don't see the opponent's pieces i don't know what it's called it was a big thing on dot com for a while i can't remember what it's called and that's the analogy that comes to mind i mean imagine you play a move and you don't know what your opponent is going to play next it's like how like right. what did you calculate what is your plan what did how did you measure if your plan was effective like that that is one of the most uh imperative most important skills or habits of a chess player is to be constantly questioning our your own decision and the measure of questioning your own decision is to check your opponent's responses it's like table tennis with the minds that you hit the ball you know it's going to come back right so when you hit the ball you are already thinking about where it's coming back you're not thinking about i'm going to hit it over <laughs> yeah everyone knows that you need to be already be prepared to know roughly where it's coming back so that we are ready for the next that was a brilliant analogy. I'm proud of myself. Well done. Yeah. yeah I know you're a tennis aficionado. So it, uh, yeah. See, and I didn't even say tennis. I said yeah. ping pong or <laughs> table tennis. So there you go. Excellent. All right. Well, yeah. And it's good advice. But yeah, as I sort of alluded to, um, it's that's the challenge of chess. You're not unique. That's, you know, that's what everyone struggles with to, to bring yeah. that 90 Perhaps to the person who asked that feels like I didn't help them at all. And maybe that's the case. But sometimes easy problems have easy solutions. <laughs> um, okay. Well, Andres, this has been great. Any final thoughts as we sort of zoom back out to the match? I mean, we've got five games to go. 
Um, I've, I've been on the edge of my seat. Um, anything for anything you're especially looking forward to? Oh, look, just the match overall. I mean, this, this, this match has been a gift that keeps giving. And I have already prepared myself, by the way, not because if I'm pessimistic, but because if I just can't see it happening, that it's going to carry on like that, that the, the rest of the match is going to sort of calm down a little bit and uh, follow the trends of previous world championship matches of the past decades and centuries when it's going to be far tighter games with far fewer uh engine bar jump jumping jacks up and down more draws and uh, a slow finish is what i predict but side note i hope i'm gonna be wrong yeah i i think that might happen if ding can even the score but if he doesn't i think he's gotta he's gotta throw the kitchen sink at him with white i mean he's only even now he's only got three whites left although he's had his chances you know i mean yeah. obviously we had five wins in yeah. a row um, yeah, and although I wouldn't say that today's game was boring or you know like no. it was not fitting the the trends of the game or sorry the match so far, but you could already see that today the fluctuation was already significantly smaller. Yeah, yeah, there was, was no real point in today's game from what I could tell where there was a clear cut advantage to be had by either side. Yeah, although I don't know, he's got rapport in the lab now with a few whites left. <laughs> Look, uh, they but then again, so see that this is the problem that yeah, they can go crazy, but crazy is double edged to say the yeah. least. Yeah, it's a good point. And on a final note, I mentioned earlier, uh, chess goals had had pegged Nepo's win probability at 78%. I also reached out to front of the pod chess by the numbers, and he actually, because there have been a sort of um a typical number of decisive results, he's running it differently, assuming a different draw rate. So he said it's 78% if you assume a 50% draw rate, which is more indicative of um, past world championships, um, or sorry, it's seven, 86% if you assume a 70% draw rate, which is more indicative of past uh, world yep, championships, it, yep. but 78% if you assume a 50% draw rate, which I don't even think we've had. What, what? So it's round nine and we've had... No, 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 we, because we had five decisive games and it's only yeah. round nine, so it's yeah. like 40-something yeah. percent draws. <laughs> so... So either way, I, I'm I'd I'd bet on Ding at either one of those prices, even though, as you said, uh, Nepo is rightfully the favorite. Um, all right, Andres, this has been great. Really appreciate you staying up late. Uh, hopefully we can chat again sometime under regular circumstances down the road and be sure to check out Andres's game recaps and his YouTube channel, uh, generally as well has his chessable courses. As you can tell, Andres is a great presenter who is entertaining as well. Right, Andres? Thank you. Yeah, well, I don't like to be the judge of my own work, so I will leave it to others. But if you think so, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and I and it was a pleasure to to be on the podcast as always. I love to come here, and uh, yeah, I look forward to chat with you again. Excellent. Yeah, and enjoy enjoy. We've only got five games left. I was already getting sad when it looked like Ding <laughs> might not might not hold today, just because then the match is less thrilling. So I hope we can mm. we can come in for a thrilling conclusion. And thanks again, Andres. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.